Come Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be with you again. Uh, excited to be here uh, today again with uh, my dear friend, Brother Jim Edwards. Uh, I will say our former institute director. His assignment has changed. And uh, Brother Edwards, welcome. And tell us a little bit about your new assignment. What are you doing? Thank you. Yes, I am excited. I'm sad to leave the institute. I've been here for 10 years yeah. in some capacity and uh, have just loved my experience here. I've loved working with the young adults. It's been such a, uh, a blessed experience, truly one of the highlights of my career. Yeah. I've been asked uh, to be the seminary principal at Valley View Seminary out in Caldwell, mm -hmm. and also to help coordinate uh, the early morning program in that area. So there's early morning programs in Marcin, Homedale, uh, there's Notice has some mm -hmm. early morning uh, mm -hmm. students, and so I'm there to help support and train and work with local priesthood and, and yeah, building great. up that program. So that's great. I'm excited. It'll be great to be back with yeah. the youth and, and yeah. hopefully they'll receive a, <laughs> an old 52-year-old guy. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Tell us a little bit, out in the, out in the world where most of our listeners are, um, most seminary programs are early morning um, and state-called teachers in most cases. Um, but maybe there's many that don't understand or know how SNI Seminary and Institute works with to train. So that's your new assignment a little bit, right? Yeah, right. right. So that would be called, so I'm a principal, but I'm also a coordinator. Yeah. So anywhere there's early morning seminary teachers, there is a seminary and institute paid professional that coordinates those early morning programs and provides training and support to the priesthood. Yeah, truly so, great. So yeah, it's, it's just a great, great opportunity. And that's, that's as you said, most of what the world experiences is yeah. early morning seminary. Yeah, and I think that's a really great thing that helps unify the seminary experience across the world. Um, and you get these guys like you, they're just fantastic, and, and going into a new state called teacher who's maybe a little trepidatious about their new assignment and, and helping them feel more comfortable with it. Yeah, so, I'm excited. Yeah, that's exciting. Okay, family. You've got some things going on in your family, too. Yeah, so a week from today, my daughter gets home from her mission in Berlin, Germany. Yeah. So I'm excited. So excited. We're so excited to have her back. And uh, my youngest daughter, uh, a week ago, submitted her missionary papers. So it could be, and You're it right. might be very likely, that on the very day my daughter comes home from a mission, <laughs> we open up a mission call for my youngest daughter. How exciting. To see where she goes. And so... You'll see in today's conversation, I've got missionary work totally on my mind, I think, because of that. So yeah. forgive me in advance if it's too uh, focused no, that way. I think it's great. We're all missionaries all the time. And, and in our conversation before we started, we talked a little bit about how maybe this is applicable for those of you out there that are serving a mission right now. Uh, we know we have some missionaries um, that listen weekly as just part of their Come Follow Me studies. And, and uh this block, in particular, Acts chapter 16 through 21, um, is a really great uh, resource for missionaries serving. Um, I think there's a lot in there also for those of us that are just member missionaries, right? Yeah. I shouldn't say just member missionaries, yes. but, right? Yeah, so, often, yeah. Oftentimes I tell uh, 
uh, missionaries when they come home from their assignment in my stake. It's one of my privileges is to release missionaries as I'm the stake president in Meridian East Stake. Yeah. And I let them know that uh, I've got a calling for you already. Uh, at the time I release them, and they're always surprised. Oh, wow, serious? <laughs> I haven't even gotten home 10 minutes. You've got a calling for me. And so what? after I release them from their service to whatever mission they were called to, I then call them to be to go back to their assignment as a member missionary for mm. the rest of their life. That's fantastic. And it just kind of teaches that principle that that really is the temporary assignment that, yeah. that we are... In, invited to be gatherers of Israel, that this is our right. full-time assignment to be witnesses of God everywhere we go yeah. and to share the gospel full-time. So uh, that's that's just a good perspective. So thank you for, for reminding us of that as well. So even though this is kind of missionary-centered, hopefully those of us that are not serving a full-time mission right now mm -hmm. will make these applicable to us as member missionaries. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, let's jump in. John, um, Acts chapter 16. Is there anything... I, I know we start... Paul's journey here in uh, in Acts 15, the very end of it. Yeah, um, yeah so he so, had three missionary journeys, okay. and so at the end of 15 is where it begins. <laughs> Chapter 16 kind of starts the, the events of his second missionary journey, yeah. and then his third missionary journey will conclude with Chapter 21, and so this really is just today we're talking about his second and third missions. Yeah, that's great. Uh, maybe just contextually, Acts 15, the end of it, 36 to 41, they just kind of decide who's going to go with him. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of a disagreement. I'll let you read on your own, but but uh, they're just kind of figuring out who companions are going to be. That's so. right. So Paul takes Silas on this second missionary journey, and and they they depart. And so maybe if we could, I'm just thinking uh, we can just look at some uh, guiding principles that would be helpful for us as member missionaries sure. and for those that are serving full time missions. Love it. Let's do it. Yeah, chapters one and two, um, they come to Thessalonica and to a synagogue of the Jews. And verse 2, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. I, I, I think that's a powerful reminder for us as missionaries. Sometimes we might rely on our own reasoning. And uh, I, would, I would probably say, unfortunately, there, I, I'm looking back on my mission, there were some people that were really good. They, they, they were the kind of person that would have been really good on a debate team. Sure, yeah. And they just won arguments. They were very sharp, witty, polished, polished, yeah. had had good reasoning skills, yep. and and they were able to kind of convince people to join the church. But uh, sometimes, after not too long of a time, unfortunately, some of those converts did not remain. And I, I wondered if if instead of using our own reasoning and our own skills, yeah. would those converts instead of using the scriptures to reason, would those converts have remained? Right. There is a power in teaching, the power of the Word of God. Um, I just got a few scriptures that might be a good cross-reference sure. for our listeners sure. to put here by verse 2. Uh, Alma 31, uh, verse 5 is, is a, a good cross-reference. And now as the preaching of the Word had a great tendency to lead the people to do that which was just. Yea, it had a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else. Mm. And, and you can see Alma's success as a missionary because of the preaching of the Word of God. Yeah. More than anything else, more than our own eloquent speech, more than our own eloquent reasoning, mm -hmm. more than force, more than manipulation, it was the preaching of the Word of God. Yeah. Um, I think of Lehi's dream. You might recall, what is it that people held on to when the mist of darkness came? And 
you know, those that made it to the tree of life were those that continually held fast to the iron rod, yeah. which of course uh, was revealed in the Book of Mormon, represents the Word of God. Right. That's that's the thing we cling to. That's the thing that helps us get to the end. Um, I really love that. I love that connection to Lehi's dream and and cling to the the rod and the, and, and the Word. Uh, it, it's interesting to me in that uh, in those verses that the only people that stayed at the tree were those that fell down. Right, they got off their feet. They stopped trying to walk around. They stopped trying to go study it out and learn a new thing. And they just were okay with the fruit and happy to be where they were. Yeah. And not that we shouldn't, you know, continue to expand our knowledge of the gospel and the plan. And heck, I teach an answering gospel questions class, right? But, but to do that in place of just seeking the Spirit to help me confirm my testimony, I think we miss. And, and kind of like you've been sharing, our missionaries that go out without... Um, the skill to invite the Spirit in yeah. and relying wholly on their skill to convince and to, uh, to confound. Yeah. You know, I, I, there's more power in the Spirit. There really is. In fact, I'll, I'll share just a personal experience. Uh, we had a, a man in my state get baptized uh, two or three years ago. And many years ago, like 20, over 20 years ago, I was this man's well, he's not a member of the church, but his wife was, but I was the eldest quorum president at the time. Mm -hmm. And we ministered to this man. Mm -hmm. We went over there, we invited him to activities, we, we spent time with their family and visited and, and just expressed love and, and invited the missionaries to come and you know teach his family, of, uh, teach him what his wife believes and knows, and he was always gracious, thanks, but no thanks. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, and then I was his bishop. Same thing, uh, years of ministering and, and loving and, and inviting him to come to church. And he would come to church on, on occasion with his wife sure. uh, to show support, but just not really interested in, in uh, hearing the missionaries. And, and uh, anyway, so then I become a stake president. His wife had been hoping since she was married from day one that he would join the church and that they could get sealed in the temple together. Sure. And... Uh, and, and unfortunately, he never just was very interested. And so she says, I'm going to go to the temple by myself then. And mm -hmm. so I had that interview with her. And uh, before we had the interview, though, I invited her husband to come along and just say, I wanted to make sure that he knew what she was getting yeah, into sure. and to make sure that he was okay with that. Yeah, for sure. And as part of that conversation, because, you know, there's a life adjustment of the wearing of the sacred yeah, underclothing, right. of, of garments. And, <clears throat> and so, but part of that conversation, I just wanted to invite him again, John. Will you please uh, come and learn more about what your wife is is taking on and, and the importance of the temple and 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 I was expected I was kind of bold and I felt very strong about it. I thought he was going to accept the invitation <laughs> and again for the hundredth time mm -hmm. thanks but no thanks but I'm there. yeah <laughs> so I thought darn mm. um, so a few months later his wife does go to the temple and it was a sweet experience mm -hmm. a few months later. We have a visiting general authority for general conference or for state conference, mm. and uh, for some reason, I felt impressed to go visit this this family with this newly uh, endowed sister and her non-member husband, John. Right. right. And we went in there, and, and graciously he accepted our visit. And I was surprised that in that visit, how quickly the visiting general authority just started teaching from the scriptures. Mm. He just he just says. I want to ask. I want to answer any of your questions. What, what What are some of the questions that you have? And mm. 
and, and he started answering from the scriptures. And there was a couple of times that I thought, oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I would have used that. <laughs> you know, I'm just that, I was surprised. I, it, there was a couple of times it didn't feel like it, it, was, uh, it didn't fit as well yeah. or something, you know. But, but he was in the scriptures. Everything he was doing, this visiting general authority was in the scriptures. And I'll be darned if something didn't change in his heart when this general authority started teaching this man from the mm -hmm. scriptures. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, at the end of that, by the way, he accepted the invitation to, wow. to listen to the missionaries. Wow. The missionaries began teaching him, and he felt the Spirit, and he was baptized, huh. and wow. later sealed with his wife a year later, and wow. they're still active to this day. That's amazing. It all started with this foundation from the Scriptures. Yeah. The Scriptures, the Scriptures, the Scriptures. Right. I love that. I love that. More powerful than any other thing, right? Maybe right now that's a good time. I think we're going to bring this up a little later, but, but uh, you know, President Packer's uh, famous quote, maybe, uh, says, true doctrine understood changes attitudes and behavior. The studies of the doctrines of the gospel will improve behavior quicker than a study of behavior will improve behavior, right? We'll bring that up again later, but but I think that's applicable here too, right? That that just studying the, the doctrine, just studying the scriptures, being in the word, uh, really will change people's thoughts and people's hearts. And, and, and you know, it's, it's funny that you tell that story because I know you, and you serve in my life as, a, as an actual mentor. I've asked you to mentor me in some things. And Christ-like love and leadership and is the, the specific definition of what I've asked you to help me with. And I don't see you as someone that would ever go in and um, you know, try to confound. And, and yet, you see and saw in that moment with the general authority, you'd miss the opportunity to take the scriptures out. Yeah. Right, as yeah. good as you are at, at helping people feel loved and welcomed, and when you miss that opportunity, you're you're missing a lot. I, I will say one more thing. I, I think in our sacrament meetings, there's a great tendency to stay away from the scriptures mm -hmm. too frequently. We use them uh, in seminary institute. We talk about a springboard. We use yeah. a verse to talk about a whole topic, and we just give a 15 minute talk on on one verse and. Man, I think if you listen to the general authorities give general conference talks and look at their cross-references, yeah. there are hundreds of quotes wow. and direct uh, statements out of scriptures. and Even President Oak's recent talk that he gave yeah, us this right. last conference, right, where most of his talks was all. quoted scripture. Exactly. And I think if we took a cue from them, we would be a lot less stressed in preparing our talks because we just go to the scriptures and look up the topic and, yeah. and use the words of the Lord, really. Uh, to help us teach our words. So, yeah, anyways, love that. That's, that's a great, yeah, that's great, great message. So that's uh, Acts 17. That's for just first couple of verses. Yeah. Let's keep going. Well, verse four. This is another lesson for missionaries, right? Some of them believed, and, and that's the most painful part. As we we yeah. grow attached to some of these people, we start teaching, and not everyone's going to accept it. Yeah. Not everyone's going to believe, and in some cases, not only do they not believe, but sometimes it causes these uproars. And so, some of the several verses that follow, <laughs> verse five talks about the to set the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason, mm -hmm. who's one of those that we're believing in. And so it's just, uh, it's just a difficult thing. We can expect opposition yeah. in this work, I guess, is, would be the principle that I would, would take away from this, that yeah. there's always going to be opposition to the work. Yeah, that's good. And not everybody's going to accept it, at least at that moment. Well, and you had mentioned before we hit record that you know, this being the, a, a group of Greeks, they were, they were worshiping lots of different things. Yeah and uh, false gods and whatnot. And so this really changed their whole culture to come in and say, hey, here's, here's Jesus Christ, and here's his life. I lived and walked with him. 
um, and and He is God. Yeah. There is one God. There is, yeah. you know, He He's who we need to follow. So it really did. I love the end of verse four. And of the chief women, not a few. So if you're converting the women, you're converting the families, probably. That's right. True. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So thank you. So then. As I mentioned, kind of the great uproar, verse 11, this is how the new converts, though, don't you love this? Those that were investigating and those new converts, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind hmm. and searched the scriptures daily, hmm. whether those things were so. And so it's so important for our new converts and for all of us to search the scriptures, not just when we have a question, but to search them daily as these as these men and women did. Hmm. And so... Yeah, love that. And as you mentioned, verse 12, there was a lot of Greeks that, honorable men, which were Greeks, and not not a few. That's kind of a Paul phrase yeah. you'll hear a not lot. A few, right? There was lots that uh, that bought into their message in spite of the uproars in other places. you gotta, you got to see, I don't know, this is maybe tangential, but I think about Paul having served with the Savior for three years and been uh, probably successful. I mean, amongst the Jews, there there was a following, right? But to go out amongst people that didn't know God really at all and see such success, not a few that he says multiple mm -hmm. times in this chapter, right? Um, you, you just got to know that Paul is seeing so much power come from preaching the word uh, indirectly, right? Yeah. Love that. Yeah, well said. Yeah, thank you. Um, so now we move, we move into... Uh, Verses 14 and 15, they're brought to Athens, which is interesting. In verse 16, we see while they're in Athens, this is Paul's observation, the end of 16, that the city was wholly given to idolatry. And for any of us that have ever been to Greece, I haven't, but sure. we've all seen pictures. We right. all can see Greece in our mind's eye. <laughs> and we don't think of modern-day Greece. When I think of Greece, I think of those temples that yeah. still remain and, and all of the pagan gods that right. would have been in those temples and worshipped by the people of Greece. Sure. And so... We, we see from historical accounts and from modern-day archaeology that there really was uh, idolatry in, yeah. in this city. And, and so he began teaching, uh, verse 18, certain philosophers of the Epicureans, uh, the Epicureans focused on anything that was sensual, anything that pleased the body, that's, that's, what, they, that's what they taught, that yeah. that's kind of the aim of life. Yeah. And, and we see modern-day versions of that, don't we, with Whatever, you know, you do you, whatever feels right. good, that's, that's what we do. And so this is what he's up against, the philosophical movement of that day, of the Epicureans. And, uh, and so some said, what will this babbler say, referring to Paul, of course. Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. That just didn't yeah. register with anything that they were used to in their pagan yeah. rituals and gods that they worshipped. So to talk about Jesus and the resurrection was just foreign to them. So that's what he's up against. And so I remember being blessed as a missionary in the Philippines. At least they loved Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> they loved Jesus. They were already converted to Jesus Christ. And so that was such a help. But so many missions of today and, and, and even mm -hmm. in our own communities here where we have Christianity as a main component, there are people that literally know nothing about Jesus Christ. Yeah. So as he begins teaching, let's look at verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and, and by the way, I, I looked this up. I guess it's really close to the Acropolis oh. mm. uh, in modern-day Athens. Mm. And so he's up there in Mars Hill, and he says, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Mm. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him 
declare I unto you. Mm. So what <laughs> follows is Paul's discourse to the people of Athens, Greece, mm. about the God that he has come to know. And to know, you know, it's interesting uh, listening to Paul here. I, I think about our modern time and the counsel President Nelson has given the youth and the young people of the church to find out who they are, to understand their relationship to God, uh, to know Him, um, and maybe a little bit Paul-like here. Yeah, right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah cool. in fact, we're going to tie that in. In fact, just if I could also say, just what's really at stake if we don't come to know God? Is God some unknowable God? Paul will preach here that, no, He is knowable. In yeah. fact, our eternal life is at stake. Jesus Himself, in John 17, 3, said, this is life eternal, yeah. that we might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Yeah. Our very eternal life is at stake if we don't come to know them. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, and so that's an important point to make. I also would, would reiterate, Joseph Smith taught, there's three things in lectures on faith, there's three things that need to be in place for us to have enough faith to lay hold of salvation. Mm. And the first is to know that there is a God. You've mm -hmm. got to truly come to believe that there really is a God. But just knowing there's a God is not enough. The Greeks here knew it. Yeah. But they're, they're not going to lay hold of salvation. Right. The second thing that Joseph Smith taught is then a son of the covenant. Mm -hmm. And third, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so if our young adults can keep that in mind, and that's his invitation, that all the young adults remember in those three labels, first, child of God, child of the covenant, and disciple of Jesus Christ. He wow. said, tonight, and these are pretty powerful words, I plead with you to not replace these three paramount and unchanging identifiers with any others because doing so could stymie your progress or pigeonhole you in a stereotype that could potentially thwart your eternal progression. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm stuck on disciple of, God, uh, disciple of Christ he could have said, prophet of God. Yeah. He has that, that title, right? And, and what a powerful title it is. But to do that points everybody back to him. It points himself back to himself, right? Yeah. And say, I am this. As opposed to being a disciple of Christ and following Christ, it, it maybe takes us into the next verse. Can I just go yeah, there? You're please. probably planning yeah. to go there already. But um, So he's just said, for we are also his offspring. Then in verse 29 of Acts 17, it says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not think of the Godhead, think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. That's such a clear verse that so many of, of the Christian, so many in the Christian world have uh, misunderstood. We don't, we don't know who he is. We don't know what his makeup is. He is the Trinity. He has all these things that we can't even comprehend. You listen to the creeds of the Christian world. And they put him and make him so unattainable that people are so separated from him. Um, I have written in my scriptures, John chapter 10, verse 34. And let me just read this and then I'm going to throw it back to you. Um, he's speaking with, uh, this is Christ himself, speaking with uh, some that were coming against him. And they say to him, for blasphemy and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself a god. Christ then responds, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemous? 
because I'm simply saying what your law says. I am a God. I am like God. I am my, my father's son, and I was sent here to do this thing. You also can have that capacity, right? Um, I just think there's, there's such clarity when we have the fullness of the gospel. And maybe like we were talking before, uh, the church doesn't take away any doctrine from other faiths. Mm-hmm. Um, it just adds to it. It helps clarify. Um, there's nothing lost in the restoration of the gospel um, when comparing it to other faiths. And I just think that's this is such a beautiful place to understand who I am um, and listening to Christ speak of me as a God with a little g, right? Yeah, it is yeah. a little g God, right? But but I don't know. I just think there's something there that that we we are so afraid of diminishing God or diminishing Christ, that to put myself similar to them, even in the same shadow or the same form, is somehow demeaning. And and that isn't how God would want us to look at ourselves at all, being made in His image. Right. right? He did that, not me. That's right. <laughs> and with that, as, a, as an earthly father, as you've already described, what, what father wouldn't want right. their children to have all that they have yeah. and to be all that they are? Paul would later say, and I don't want to steal thunder from <clears throat> the Romans uh, sure. episode that right. we'll have later on, but uh, Romans 8, right, that uh, mm. uh, joint heirs with Christ. Right. And to, what is it that Christ inherited the Father? Everything. And to be a joint heir with someone, yeah. you, you inherit that. And, and John, the Apostle John, would talk about over and over again in the book of Revelation yeah. to sit on the throne. Right. And, and, and so again, this is not to replace or to become equal yeah. to, there's still that relationship that our God and our Savior Jesus Christ will always have with us. But for us to become like them, that's what this is all about. Right. And until we understand that we are truly children of God, we're, we're not going to realize that blessing. Yeah, so. yeah I love that. I, I, my mind just went back to John chapter 17 during the great intercessory prayer. Christ says... Um, Neither pray I for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for them which all, which shall believe on me through their words. That's you and me. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. Right? This, the, Christ is not describing a Godhead of him and the Holy Ghost and God as one being that is this ethereal thing. He's describing all of us included in becoming like God's Right? And having what Heavenly Father has, if we make the argument that God and Christ and the Holy Ghost are one, based on verses like that, we also have to make the argument that I am also a member of the Godhead because Christ said I could be. I don't know, I, I just love how clear he speaks when we have the whole strain of the gospel message, right? When the, when the restoration's all there, we have all the parts and pieces, everything he said makes sense. Well said. In fact, that's a great segue to chapter 18. Yeah. We have a, a sweet revealed doctrine that the, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ really shed some light on. Right, right. In 18, we're now in Corinth. So they depart from Athens, and they're now in Corinth. This is where they tried to teach the Jews, uh, but had limited success in, in verse 6. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. Mm. And so, again, another missionary lesson here that <clears throat> there's, there's times when we're teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, whether it's on our mission or whether it's us with our friends, and there will be times that they won't accept it for whatever reason. Yeah. Like my friend John, all those right. years yeah. that, I, that right. I worked with him. Um, 
And so we have to understand that there's times to move forward and, and to leave that in the hands of a loving father for, for later. Yeah, I remember, uh, Jim, I, it may have been you that said this to me, and it hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Years ago when I got hired, I remember um, I'd had a bad day in class or something, and I think I had written a note to you as my mentor and just said, Jim, I'm just struggling. And, and, uh, and you just wrote a very simple sentence or two back that said something to the effect of, um, God has a bigger plan than Matt Swenson for those kids. And I remember in the moment, I had just been hired as their seminary teacher. I was teaching the Book of Mormon. It was like, that's it. If they don't get it now, they're never going to get it, right? I remembered my Book of Mormon experience with Craig Spute, and I thought, oh, man, if I don't do it justice, they're, they're going to walk away. And I, I was sitting in my office just so hard on myself. And I remember thinking after you said that, that there was like a burden lifted from me. I didn't have to be it for those kids, right? Even for our own children. Sometimes it isn't the parent that guides them and keeps them on the path. Sometimes it's their spouse. Sometimes it's a friend in a ward 25 years later that goes and finds them. Sometimes it's a visiting general authority when the stake president, as a bishop and stake president, couldn't do it for years, a visiting general authority walks in, but you've planted the seeds, you've done the, the little bit of work, but God's best plan is rarely me, right? <laughs> he just has a bigger plan for his kids than any one individual. I love what you said. It really does take the pressure off of us, doesn't it? I love the encouragement that the Lord gives him in verse 9 and 10. This is just a few verses later, right? Yeah. After, after that discouragement, um, this is the Lord speaking to Paul. Uh, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold thy peace. Mm. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. Hmm. Just that encouragement. Just, just speak your words. Uh, and Clay Christensen, and maybe this, this is the thought that I had. I guess is Clay Christensen, the power of everyday missionaries. Yeah. He talks about how inviting is success. Hmm. So we can teach. We can invite people to come to our home and learn about the gospel. We can have gospel conversations with them, and we can invite them. And if they say thanks but no thanks, we've been successful. Yeah. We've given them a chance to use their agency. As you've said, we've planted some seeds. Mm -hmm. So just take the pressure. We don't want to do any of this out of guilt. Yeah. We love what we have. We love what we know. Let's invite others. Let's love, share, and invite, right? That's been the message, and that is success. When we love, when we share, and when we invite, yeah. whether they accept it or not, whether they make covenants or not, we've been successful that day. Well, and like we've said, it, it takes the burden off of us. In today's world where there's so many choosing different paths that are so wonky, you know, to love and to share and to invite and then just smile and be their friend and love them where they are um, makes it so much easier to be Christ-like. I don't have to get angry because someone didn't listen to me. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe at some point God does that, but not me. And I, I, don't yeah. need to, I don't need to have that kind of feeling ever in my life. So, yeah, it's so instructive. That, yeah. that, and, and he says again, be not afraid and hold not thy peace. Yeah. So don't be afraid. Go out and speak. Yeah, invite, speak. Right? Say the words. Love people. Share things with them. Invite them. Yeah. And mm. and, and he'll do the rest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love he, that. He's there for a year and a half, right? Right, yeah. A year and a half. Yep. Teaching in Corinth. Wow. Yep, so a year and a half there and uh, and, and has that that as his, his, his theme. And again, just inviting the success. Take the pressure off. If we think the reason we love sharing and invite is so that people will be baptized, I think we're missing the point. I think yeah. the purpose of loving and sharing and inviting is, in fact, 
to love, share, <laughs> right. and invite. Novel idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the right thing. So. Well, and I'll, I'll share just here that we, we have some friends of ours, uh, uh, actually a contractor of mine, I built houses on the side, and a uh, good painter friend of mine. Um, I, when I show up to a house in middle of construction, I'm always wearing a suit, so I'm way overdressed for that <laughs> job. Um, and I rarely do anything other than walk through and just make comments, but... but uh, because I'm always in a suit, and this painter friend of mine knew my occupation and how I had treated him in the, over the years, um, he brought his wife to work one day and said, uh, Matt, we want to find um, God, and we want to start attending church. Can we attend church with you? <laughs> and it was like, well, yeah, I like, yeah, I can do that. And you know, it was kind of sad because I've thought for years, this guy is golden. He's just awesome. He's on it. And I just have always treated him with, with kind of kid gloves because I just love, I love him. And I met his wife that day, and that was the only reason she came. She came to, to, to work the work site to see if she could meet me and, and be invited to church, right? And it's been interesting as we've met with missionaries and uh, just how love and being invited um, and having a place to be was really all they needed. Um, they're, they're taking the gospel principles and concepts in stride. Um, and accepting everything at this point, and and, and maybe they won't, uh, you know, long term. At least with me, but but I just can't see long term eternally. He's yeah. not there, right? He's That's just right. that guy, right? He and his family of five kids, and just beautiful. But but again, it started because I was just me, yeah. being a halfway decent person, and uh, and wearing my religion on my sleeve a little bit, literally. <laughs> love that. It really is that simple. We just love people because it's yeah. the right thing. We share things. We share our time. We share resources of the church because yeah. it's the right thing because yeah. it gives us joy and we invite them. Well, and people want to be around that too, right? I mean, I, I think I remember, correct this story, but I think I remember in your own neighborhood uh, that there was some party, some neighborhood gathering that was to take place and and you weren't going to be able to be there? Is it, is, am I telling this story? I, I think so, yeah. Right? Keep going. And uh, and somebody in your neighborhood realized you weren't going to be able to be there and, and made a comment. And, and did they change the they change the date of that event just so that Jim Edwards <laughs> could be present in his neighborhood gathering? Yeah. Is that, is that, is yeah, that kind of close? Yeah, just so kind. It's just, yeah, wonderful that they would even think of me in that way. Right. But, but, it, but it speaks to the influence you have in your neighborhood, right? That, that yeah. if this guy can't come, we really shouldn't be doing this. Because we need this guy to hold us all together, or whatever they're thinking, right? But just a just a cool uh, maybe outreach to you and saying, hey, we 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 appreciate what you are in our in our community, and and that we can be that, right? That we are loving, that we are inviting, that we're just reaching out and helping, and is really all the Savior asks us to do, right? Yeah. It's the, the, the great commandments. Yeah, it's just that simple. Yeah, yeah. love that, love that. Well, we now we come to chapter 19, and Paul, on his continued missionary journey, uh, <clears throat> comes to the coast of Ephesus, and he finds certain believers of Jesus Christ, verse mm -hmm. 1. Interestingly, these disciples of Christ um, had been baptized, but Paul asked them in verse 2, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Right. And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Right. We haven't even heard That's of right. the Holy Ghost. What What's about? this all about? And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hmm. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, 
the Holy Ghost came on them. Yeah. So here you have a group of Christians that believed on Jesus and had even been baptized, but had not been confirmed, had not been given that sacred ordinance, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mm. So here's another insight as we think, what does the scriptures teach us about what Jesus's church looks like? Mm -hmm. The importance of baptism, not just by water, but also by fire, yeah. is taught beautifully here. Well, and I love that. I think so much of the world understands baptism. They, yeah. they saw John do it for Christ. It was, it's obvious we need to do that. But after Christ left and left their presence, there becomes a need to have a connection directly to Christ, directly to what the Father would have us do, and that is through this ordinance. And I think what's cool to me is um, as we read these, these verses, maybe through 12, we don't need to do it necessarily, but we see them using priesthood in uh, healing people and that, that priesthood authority they were given to go out and to preach and to baptize, to confirm, to heal. We see priesthood in action so obviously and I love the way you painted that, that, that this is Christ's church on earth. Yeah. And if you're going to look for Christ's church on earth, it needs to have these things, right? And, and if, uh, if a church is missing laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost through someone holding the proper authority, and not just, I woke up one day and thought I should go be a servant to God, as good as that is, uh, we learn from Christ himself that that's not how the priesthood was given. And... Uh, and I think there's just so it's so important when we, like I said, that with the with the whole thread of the, the fullness of the gospel, all of these things make sense, and we see it all here. We're adding to someone's faith and someone's yeah. belief. We're not taking anything away. I love that President uh, Hinckley in Utah, the Baptist Church had a uh, a big movement where they were going to go out and do their best to be a witness to the to the member, members of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, try to save them. Mm -hmm. and, and boy, bless their hearts for yeah. thinking of us in that way. And President uh, Hinckley was asked, I guess, in some capacity to give an official response from the church. And, and his response was, I hope our members will let them in their homes and say to them, please bring to the table what you know and love about God and see if we can add to it. Yeah. And yeah. that's what this is all about, that's right? That's beautiful, yeah. I love that. Well, I love this doctrine. Joseph Smith taught you might as well baptize a bag of sand right. if you don't give someone the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. That this is a critically needed ordinance, as you said, to have that not only cleansing from sins, to have that completion of the, the cleansing of our sins, but also that gift of companionship from a member of the Godhead that can inspire us and comfort us and teach us. Yeah and uh, help us in our journey as we continue on the covenant path. Well, and it isn't. It, it isn't just um, that singular experience. If you listen closely to the sacrament prayers, uh, those sacrament prayers invite again the Holy Ghost to come, that they may always have His Spirit to be with them. That is a re-baptism of fire every week, right? It's why we don't have to go get baptized by water again. We've done that. We've made that symbol. But Elder Bednar would teach us that that, that weekly uh, baptism of fire is why we partake of the sacrament. It's why you have to go. Yeah. Why you can't just watch your Zoom meetings anymore. And uh, when there's a, when there's an opportunity to go, you need to go. You need to have that that blessing through priesthood. You need to have that opportunity to have the Spirit refresh you uh, to burn away again. Uh, that you might always have the Spirit to be with you. The little things that you, yeah. we just miss, right? Well, and it's instructive if you look at the rest of this chapter with with the gift of the Holy Ghost as kind of the context that we've established there. I wonder if that's where, because of the cleansing and the purity that comes because of that gift yeah. and because of the increased faith in Jesus Christ that comes from the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. Look at verse 11. 
And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, talking about healing the sick in the next verse with diseases departing from them and evil spirits being cast out of them. Um, In fact, there's an interesting uh, story that follows of some people trying to cast out evil spirits. And the evil spirit said to them, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but who are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's something about a, a covenant member that has the gift of the Holy Ghost and has been given priesthood authority to be able to do these things. And well, so, and that's missionaries too, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Being given that specific right and privilege. That's it. And uh, So I, I also love in verse 19, so chapter 19, verse 19, this is the, the results of their preaching there in Ephesus is there was many converts in verse 19, many of them also which use curious arts. And if you look at the footnote there, we're talking about sorcery, we're talking witchcraft, we're yeah. talking soothsaying, fortune telling, whatever whatever magic art that, that right. Satan inspires and sure. tries to get people to seek those things instead of him. Right. Uh, anything that, that causes us to seek something other than God would, would be considered so these curious arts. Right. But look what these converts did. To me, this is yeah. this is evidence of conversion, is that many of them also, which use curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. Mm. And, and how many books are we talking about here? I don't know if there's a ton of converts or these few converts had a ton of books. Yeah. <laughs> but they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Wow. So this is some serious, I mean, that's that's something of value. That's something that costs a lot of money. And they're willing to burn it and destroy it so that they can be true disciples of Jesus Christ. So truly, truly converted here. Yeah, it changes. It goes back. This is maybe where that President Packer quote comes back in, that uh, study of true doctrine changes attitudes, right? It's not going to change your personality. It's not going to change, you know, the things that make you an individual, but it'll change your attitude. It'll make you not want to look at the things you were looking at before and and rely on the, the sources you were relying on before. Um, you had mentioned before we hit record the uh, harkening back a little bit to the Book of Mormon and burying some some swords, yeah. right? And uh, very similar kinds of idea that that uh, you know we we just want to set aside those things that that aren't godly. Yeah. Um, and, and carefully maybe a, a conversation here about how in our culture, especially in the United States, everything is okay in the culture. You know, we, we, we live in a time and in a world where you can, like you said, you do you, right? That, that idea. And, and, and so there's this philosophy that rather than looking to God, we look at every other resource we can Right, the President Packer's statement that that uh, a study of the behavior, right, it, it will study the gospel will change behavior faster than studying behavior, and yet what we do is we see countless resources on studying behaviors, mm. um, studying how to do something or how to learn something, uh, how to become something that we so badly want, or, or how to eliminate some aspect of our our mental state. Um, and we go searching the world for volumes of books on that subject, and we can find them. And, uh, and we go after seeking after energy healing, and we go after things that the church now has come out and spoken very clearly about. But, but maybe carefully, I think sometimes we also go and we seek counsel from those that we have deemed counselors uh, who don't follow God first, 
don't understand the plan and understand who, who, who he is even, mm-hmm. let alone who I am sitting in front of him. And so that counsel follows the world. And, uh, and I think too often doesn't point us to God first, points us away from God first. And let's come back to religion because religion is going to mess you up. Mm-hmm. Let's go study the problem you have. And it's just so contrary to what President Packer has said. Yeah, well said. Nephi would say to his brothers when they were wrestling with things, have you inquired of the Lord? That ought to always be our first source. Yeah. And to put all these other things as secondary. And again, not to, there are, we're so blessed to have counselors, For especially sure. in the church. Family right. services provides counselors exactly. with the gospel perspective yeah. that help us through some of these difficult things. But there always ought to be a foundation of going to God first and yeah. seeking His wisdom and His learning. You know, you and I know some students who really struggle with uh, depression and with uh, uh, suicide ideation and uh, just anxiety in general. Um, And you said something earlier in our conversation, I think before we hit record, about how sometimes those conditions cause a a person to not even be able to feel spirit or joy or happiness. Um, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said on that. Yeah, that's the toughest thing about depression and, and some of those kinds of mental health challenges. It's just hard to feel the Spirit. It's hard to feel God's love. Yeah. And so I've often just counseled, let's get some counseling in place from trusted counselors that can have a gospel perspective, that can help you work through the way your mind works, the way your brain and body work together. And, and, and let's see if we can get some help uh, with that so that you can think clearly and start to have those those things opened up. Sure. But in the meantime, don't abandon prayer. Yeah. Exercise faith. Get on your knees. Tell Heavenly Father how you feel. And even if you don't feel anything, even if you don't get any answers or response back, keep putting yourself in that position while you continue with counseling. Mm. And I believe with all my heart that the day will come that, that those when those things are all aligned properly, that the floodgates of, of feeling will come into place, that they will feel that the God's love uh, love for them, and that they'll feel that He's there for them, that He He hears them, mm-hmm. and they will start to have that peace. But but you got to exercise that faith. Put yourself in those places, the temple, prayer, fasting, the sacrament, yeah. all of those things to help connect with God while you're working on the mental health piece, and it will it will come. Yeah, and maybe we, in that moment we would even look back and see how God was present, even when I didn't feel Him. Yeah. Um, it's the footsteps in the sand kind of concept, right? But, but I just I love those students that you and I know that we have that, uh, that struggle with those things um, and just want them to know they are loved first and foremost by a perfect God yeah. who knows every detail of their struggle and for whatever reason has, is allowing that struggle to continue. Um, for growth or for learning from you and me or, or whatever reason and uh, to have faith in him and understand that his plan is bigger than than them right yeah well said they'll be who who he wants them to be someday well maybe we can look at chapter 20 and then bring this conversation sure. to uh to, toward the home stretch well, that- uh, chapter 20 is an interesting uh <clears throat> chapter that causes us to chuckle just a little bit in verses 7 through 12 <laughs> Uh, Paul's preaching here um, on the Sabbath, and uh, <clears throat> they're taking bread, so the sacrament's being in place. This is verse 7. Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. So I don't know about you, but I've heard some long <laughs> talks before. He must have really been 
really been preaching a sermon. Uh, verse 8, there are many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. Now, you and I can probably relate to this. I don't know if there's a single person on earth that hasn't slept in some kind of church setting. It's always fun to see our church leaders on the stand, and you right. can say, boy, they must have had a late night and an early, early morning. morning right? <laughs> Uh, but here's Eutychus asleep, and so he's kind of in the windowsill, I guess, and I'm not exactly sure what I'm imagining in my mind's eye at this upper chamber. Mm-hmm. But Paul was long, as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty tough situation. You can imagine the, the shock that that meeting had. Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore has come up again, and had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even till the break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. Again, that's Paul's way of saying they were really comforted. So the sacrament, and continued preaching, and then eventually he, he comes to life. and. Yeah. And so just this, this kind of a funny, humorous story, we're grateful that Eutychus had that experience. You can True. imagine what his journal entry might be that day. Right, yeah. <laughs> but, but there is a principle there that, and this is not don't fall asleep in meetings. Right. That's True. not what this is about. In fact, I'm ashamed to admit that some of my best naps have been during general conference. And I'm just, I feel so bad about that. Yeah. Or temple sessions. And mm-hmm. I, I do my best to be alert as we've been instructed to do. And yeah. But I do go back and I read those conference talks that I might have missed, and I try to listen to them several times before the next general conference. And so, so it's, it, this, again, this isn't a lesson about falling asleep in church, but are we, spiritually speaking, are we awake? Are we aware? Are we sleeping through the restoration? Yeah. Um, do we listen to the words of prophets and apostles, incorporate them into our lives, and are we hungering for the things that the prophet wants to teach us and to quickly and immediately implement those things in our lives? Mm. Or are we sleeping through the unfolding restoration? Yeah. If so, I would, I would say that, that we're at risk from spiritual death, yeah. right? That, yeah. uh, like Eutychus, just fall asleep and, and you're gone, you're yeah. out, <laughs> lights yeah. out. Yeah, I, I really love that. I, I think uh, Eutychus was there. He, he brought himself to where Paul was. He sat down in front of a TV and watched General Conference, right? But to what end? Was he just fulfilling the... the and again, not we, we don't know Eutychus more than this story, but but was he just checking a box saying, yeah, I went I went to church today, I slept through all of it and paid attention to nothing I listened to, right? But maybe there's another principle too, uh, Jim. Maybe maybe as the teacher, and this maybe definitely applies to you and I, but, but for those of us that teach in the church, which I think is all of us, and maybe even for our children sometimes, we see our students sleeping, and we just get so about it, right? Whether it's actual sleeping in the back of my class, or just on a phone, or checked out, and not part of what I'm trying to get them to do. And maybe Paul's uh, experience here with Eutychus, look, look, listen again to what he does. Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him. Said, trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. His reaction was first to go and love him and to hug him, and to go where he was, and to help him. And uh, rather than just get angry, that this guy just slept through my, through my sermon, and I know it's five hours long, but I'm going to go for another five hours, because by 11, I, it goes clear till the morning, right? So I just, I just love that, that Paul 
didn't get angry at it. And, uh, but for sure, I think the, the principle is, um, are we sleeping through the restoration? Are we missing the... If Paul came today, if we knew Paul was going to go to General Conference and speak, mm-hmm. I think everybody on earth would go listen to that. But when it's President Nelson, because it's not a resurrected being coming back, uh, President Nelson, who would have much more uh, relevant counsel for us than Paul would in our day, uh, we maybe sleep through yeah. sometimes. Yeah, well mm. said. Mm. Thank you. I love that. Well, well, this has been fantastic. Yeah, Paul's, um, Paul's kind of nearing the end of his third mission, and this is going to be the beginning of some tough stuff. Yeah. In fact, in chapter 20, starting in verse 22, he starts to kind of express this to his followers. He says, Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem. So again, this is God's work. The Spirit is directing him to go to Jerusalem, which if he goes to Jerusalem, like the Savior, the last time he went to Jerusalem, he knew what that would mean. Paul is also aware. He says, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, but he knows that there's a risk by, by going to Jerusalem. Verse 23, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. He will say in other places, that's kind of what he's used to. He's just used to bonds. He's used to afflictions. But look at his attitude in verse 24. And I love this, again, as disciples of Jesus Christ. If we can get to this point in our lives, Paul says, in spite of knowing that there's going to be tough things ahead, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Mm. And he's done his best. He'll say in another place, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And then in chapter 21, this, he, he eventually does go to Jerusalem. He gets arrested. And then he's eventually moved to Caesarea, which is where the, the, the Roman governor would be stationed. And for two years, he'll remain there as a prisoner, mm. unsure of what lies ahead. But verse 13, I think, is a fitting tribute to Paul and, and, and where he's at. Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I hope that as we look at the life of Paul and his great missionary labors, that we can learn these lessons of, of missionary work and that of what discipleship looks like that and for those of the, that have made temple covenants, that we've covenanted to, to be like Paul in a way, mm. that we're ready to give whatever it takes to give, whatever the Lord asks us to give. And in his case, he eventually would give his life for the cause. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Just a thought occurred to me as you were reading all of that. It, it's just beautiful language from Paul as he knows maybe going like a lamb to the slaughter, um, that he knows that they would not see his face any longer. Um, the the line in verse 26, I am pure from the blood of all men. Man, that just screams Joseph Smith, yeah. right? That he is, he is going like a lamb to the slaughter. And then look at 36 through 38 in chapter 20. When he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. I... I just think of Emma and his little boys and his family as Joseph rode off. This same experience, this this first prophet of this dispensation, 
at both in, in Acts and in our day, um, having a very similar experience, being taken to prison, going to a place where he knew he was not well received, um, and yet he went. And uh, there's a lesson in that, I think, for us, that uh, when we go from teaching at the Institute, where all the students show up with their feet, they want to be here, to back to a seminary where some students just maybe don't want to be there as much, um, you go, and you go and you help where you can. And I'm excited to see you in your new assignment and, and uh, succeeding there like you've succeeded here or just so blessed to know you and have you around us. Jim, if there was one final message, we're going to have you back on. Don't worry, this isn't it. <laughs> but for now, um, based on just the things that have gone on in your life and what you see in the young people of the church right now, uh, what counsel or guiding influence would you just want them to know or remember or Share a little final thought for us. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Swenson, for letting me be here with you and to talk about these wonderful chapters together. I guess I would say just what our prophets already told us, that the most important work happening on the face of the earth right now is the gathering of Israel. Mm -hmm. And Paul is evidence that that was the most important thing to him. Yeah. And I'll, I'll confess, I, I, at times in my life, based on my decisions and based on what I think about and what I want to do and what I actually do and... I, I know I'm not quite there yet. And this isn't to beat myself up. This is just to admit that I'm not quite there yet where the gathering of Israel is the most important thing to sure. me. Yeah. Sometimes it is, and sometimes I evidence that. Yeah. But other times it's not. I'm, I'm, so I'm not quite there yet. But I know the Lord's patient with me. Mm. And so I would just say to the young adults of the church, yes, we're not like Paul yet. Some of you probably are in, in many ways. <laughs> But, but as we continue to strive to love, share, and invite, as we continue to share the gospel with others, and as we continue to repent joyfully daily in our lives and, and consider who it is that the Lord can put us in a path to bless, so many people that Paul touched were already prepared by the Lord, mm. and all he had to do was just be there, and, yeah. and the Lord did the rest. And so yeah. be patient. Be patient with yourself and, and recognize that the Lord's patient with us to continually strive towards that idea that the gathering really is the most important thing. And when we get there, I believe with all my heart that that's when the joy that so many of us long for in our lives will also accompany that. That yeah. that really is the source of all joy when we can truly make God's work our work. Yeah, won't it be great when all of that work is done? I wonder what's next. Yeah. <laughs> Growth, right? But, yeah, Jim, I just love you. Love that love we had this time together today. and. We'll miss our association daily here, but uh, I'm so looking forward to seeing you succeed somewhere else. Thank you, and the Institute's in great hands with Brother Swenson. Thank you for being here and blessing these young adults. Thank you. We'll have you back on. Thank you. <laughs>